Welcome to Driving Change. We're honest, we're out loud, we're making an impact. This is a podcast about acknowledging our past, staying present, and recovering our future. My name is David Peck. Join me as we engage with activists, filmmakers, actors, and agents of change as we explore our relationship with the world around us and how we can all make a difference. Driving Change is your go-to podcast for fun and insightful conversations about making the world a better place. It's content that cares. Build. Act. Create. Welcome to Driving Change. What a pleasure to have such a talented and thoughtful and passionate, committed group of people on for our first episode, Finding a Balance. We have Paul Watson with us, Moira Brown, and David Abel. Uh, You need to check each and every one of these uh, folks out that are uh, on today's broadcast. And Driving Change, it's the podcast, uh, but but there's an interview that is about to unfold uh, before your very eyes if you're on Facebook or YouTube or uh, your ears if you're listening in on your favorite podcast channel. And by the way, if you are online, please like us there. And uh, if you're listening on your favorite uh, podcast service provider, subscribe to the podcast Driving Change. We've got some exciting interviews coming up. And also please visit the website, theimpactseries.net and sign up for the newsletter. We're not going to bother you. Uh, We're just going to keep you posted on some really exciting uh, conversations and and interviews and films. And so we're here today to talk about the environment. We're here today to talk about uh, social action and change. And and we're here to talk about uh, a whale by the name of Snowcone. Where do you find out more about that from Moira? And Paul talks a great deal about being passionate and, and being courageous and using our imagination to change the world. And David is the director of this film called Entangled that you're going to need to see. And it's coming soon to a theater near you. And you can also access it online too in the very near future. But David has lots to say as well. And we just had a a great time chatting together. So stay tuned. Coming right up, uh, Paul Watson, Moira Brown, David Abel, talking about a little bit of everything and the new film Entangled. Well, welcome to Driving Change. We are so thrilled. I'm super pumped, actually. This is episode one, Finding a Balance. We have three incredibly special guests here with us today. Moira Brown from the Canadian Whale Institute, David Abel. I mean, he's a filmmaker. He's a journalist. He's he's a little bit of everything. And he's the director of the film Entangled, which we're going to be talking about. But we're going to be talking about so much more than that. And of course, uh, Sea Shepherd founder, Marine conservationist uh paul watson is here as well just thrilled to have you all on the show thank you so much for joining us today oh thank Thank you you. thank you so you know everyone needs to know all of our listeners that before before we 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 got rolling i was kind of uh uh, kind of complaining i suppose that we weren't going to have enough time and and i hope you can hear the smile in my voice and certainly if you're watching us on facebook or youtube you can see it but i'm I'm just so thrilled that we have, uh, I, I know we have lots to talk about. We're going to talk about uh, a whale by the name of Snowcone. And I mean, I just, I can't wait to get into that. So David, yeah, thanks again. And, and congratulations on the film. Um, question for you. And, and, you know, we've got a group of such passionate, committed people. We've got uh, the academic, uh, the activist and the author. Can we go there? Uh, anyway, t- tell me what, what is it? 
that drives you to do this kind of work that that that, that the journalism war journalism um uh, issues of poverty international development social justice can you talk a little bit about that passionate commitment yeah um again uh david thank you so much um for uh welcoming us and uh this is a really great uh, opportunity to have a conversation with so many people i have so such great respect for um i, I would just say you know um there are so many burning issues in our world today and um and i think what has um really snared my attention in the last decade has been climate change um and uh, I have been trying to tell stories that reflect how climate change is not some distant abstract threat, but one that is playing out uh, very much now in people's lives um, and how this is going to be an issue that is going to become far uh, more prevalent in our lives and lead to all kinds of conflicts like the one this film centers on uh, between uh, conservationists and uh, between people in industries who are just trying to make a living, and um, and so uh, I this is this film entangled is kind of the capstone of uh, a trilogy of films I've made about how um, uh, climate change is affecting our oceans, particularly uh, the one the body of water just off the coast of where I live here in New England, the Gulf of Maine, which has been warming faster than just about any other body of water on the planet. And that warming has led to things like uh, the collapse of the cod fishery, uh, which is the subject of my first film. Uh, and cod uh, was such an important part of our lives uh, and our history here. Uh, we have a sacred, we have a wooden cod called the sacred cod that hangs from the rafters of the state house here in Massachusetts. And then I made a film called Lobster War, which is about how um, climate change led to, uh, while well, it led to a collapse in the lobster fishery south of Cape Cod, it actually led to the surge of the lobster population off down East Maine and in the Maritimes um, in, uh, in Canadian waters. And that led to this um, centuries old dispute over this rock between Nova Scotia and down East Maine called Machaya Seal Island, suddenly uh, having meaning to a lot of people. And while the Canadian fishermen in the area uh, long ceded the waters around the island, which have both, uh, which have also been in dispute since the end of the Revolutionary War, they suddenly said, uh, those are our waters and we're going to fish them too, after suddenly there was a, an explosion in the lobster population there. And that film centers on how uh, the warming waters has led to this, this, this serious conflict between fishermen there. And while making that film, I learned a lot about the issues of, um, of how uh, vertical buoy lines, the ropes that extend from the surface to the sea floor, were affecting uh, um, uh, whales, and in, particularly, uh, in particular, one of the most endangered whales, there is the, um, uh, the, the North Atlantic right whale. And I also learned about how climate change was also affecting this population by uh, leading to a uh, pretty much a collapse of their primary food source in the waters uh, right near where Mo uh, lives um, uh, in the Bay of Fundy, where the whales usually uh, for, for as long as probably Mo knows, fed there um, every summer. 
and now there are no there are no whales left, and they had to go elsewhere uh, in search of food, and they ended up going to the Gulf of St. Lawrence, where they hadn't uh, been uh, seen in any significant numbers until 2017, and we had a catastrophic 12 right whales die there uh, in the Gulf of St. Lawrence in 2017. I think it comes out in the film, David, that 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 the uh, these human causes are are you know in fact pushing animals like the right whale into shipping lanes and so on. Um, pa- Paul, um, quick question: uh, Is is it climate change that's that's pushing you today? Is that a factor? I mean, you've been you've been protesting and have been an activist. Uh, all of your life, it seems to me. Um, and if you haven't seen folks, uh, Paul's film, Watson, you need to uh, rush to a digital theater near you. 1969, nuclear protest, etc. Did you think climate change was going to be a factor today back then as well? And, 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 and again, connected to that passion, commitment, focus. Well, it's taken some time for the world to uh, become aware of it, but it's certainly uh, the, the concern has been there for, for quite, quite a while. I, I remember just as recently as 2006, when I was a national director for the Sierra Club, I had a hard time convincing the board of directors of the Sierra Club that this was a concern. And uh, it was only when Al Gore jumped on it that they said, oh, well, we're going to be involved, <laughs> you know, so he made it popular there. But, yeah, it's, it's, uh, there are many, many factors affecting uh, life and diversity and interdependence in the sea, uh, you know, from overfishing, illegal fishing, pollution and everything. But climate change is probably the most significant uh, factor that's, uh, that's driving this change. I love Paul. I love, and I hope we can go here. But I love that you use the word interdependence. I think it's it's a deeply philosophical and existential word. But I think it's it's going to be so important going into the future for 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 our kids and their kids' kids and so on. Moira, uh, I know you're dying to tell us about snow cone, and 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 I heard rumor, uh, and and David's already brought up the Bay of Fundy, but I but I I'm I'm, I'm interested. Um, I've heard the tale. There may be a story or two to tell. Well, snow cone uh, is a is a well known North Atlantic right whale, amongst those of us who know North Atlantic right whales. And I think one of the biggest challenges ahead of us is for the North Atlantic right whale to become a household word. Uh, you have a, a very large whale, 50, 60 tons, feeding on plankton the size of a grain of couscous. And you talk about interdependency. Big, huge whale feeding way low down on the food change. We need to pay attention to what's going on with this whale because it's eating very low down on the food chain. It's being affected by climate change right in front of our eyes. So just to give you an example, in in 1997, I started an aerial survey program down in Cape Cod Bay. And this was to work with the fishing industry so that they would know where the whales are. We could report on the whales being there all winter long. We flew every good weather day for four and a half months. And uh, this coincided with with the state of Massachusetts plan to do more to conserve North Atlantic right whales in state waters. Snow cone was born in uh, 2005. And just to be clear, Moira, snow cone is a really big whale. Snow cone's a big whale now. She was born in 05 down in Florida. she is a, an adult female, and, uh, and last year she had her first calf. Unfortunately, snow cone is also yet another, she's not the only one, she's yet another icon for all the beleaguers right whales. Um, 
when she was swimming with her calf, newly born last year during COVID 2020, she actually took her calf all the way up into the Gulf of Mexico near Corpus Christi. And then on the migration where she was coming towards Cape Cod Bay, uh, her calf was actually found uh, in June floating, uh, a floating carcass off of New Jersey. Mm. And the was done. It looks like that poor calf had actually been hit twice by small boats. So, so boats that knew that they hit something because they were short color marks that can only be caused by small boats, not by ocean going cargo ships. And then snow cone shows up this past winter in March uh, of 2021 in Tangle and uh, right in Cape Cod Bay. And she was feeding, but she was, she was towing over 300 feet of, of fishing rope behind her coming right out of the left side of her mouth. And she's named snow cone because all right whales are individually uh, distinctive. They have a callosity pattern on the top of their head that's a roughened callus that you would have on your hand from raking the grass, but they have it their whole life. And they're actually dark, they're black, but they're infested with whale lice that live on the callosities. And so the pattern on the head often looks quite white. And just part of her pattern looks exactly like um, an ice cream cone. So we called her snow cone so that we can distinguish her, you know, pretty easily uh, from a distance. So she shows up with all of this rope. There's a terrific team that disentangles whales based in Cape Cod and Provincetown Center for Coastal Studies, and they were able to partially remove some of the rope from her, uh, about 300 feet. And then there weren't any, uh, then there was one more attempt and then boom, no more sightings. She shows up in the Gulf of St. Lawrence. So she has now swum all the way from Cape Cod around Nova Scotia into the Gulf of St. Lawrence, right down in the corner near Shipigan, near the Acadian Peninsula. And she's seen during an aerial survey on May 10th. So the closest disentanglement team is here on Campobello. So we loaded the truck and, and hauled our 30 foot boat out of the water, put it on a trailer and drove from Campobello through the US because we're actually allowed to do that uh, during COVID, uh, all the way to Shippigan. We launched the next day with help. We had a couple of uh, aerial survey planes helping us find this whale. And we did find her akin. We removed another uh, 45 feet of rope from her entanglement. But she's a pretty wary whale. And we were only able to get close enough a couple of times uh, to cut the rope. So she's still being monitored. Uh, she has been seen since still in the Southern Gulf of St. Lawrence. The weather's not very good up there. So we're going to try another attempt as soon as we can get a couple of good days of weather. There's a, an area there called the Shediac Valley. And this is where about half of the North Atlantic right whales have moved to now. So instead of coming to the Bay of Fundy to feed or south of Nova Scotia, they're going all the way around um, into, the, into the Gulf of St. Lawrence, into this area called the Shediac Valley, which is known for high concentrations of plankton. The plankton hasn't moved. Plankton can't swim against right. currents. Plankton that was in the Bay of Fundy uh, and in the Gulf of Maine, there's no longer uh, other layers of the, of the ecosystem there to support that plankton. So they're feeding on a whole new source. It's a new restaurant. And only about half the right whales are going there that we know of. We actually don't know where the other half are going in the summertime. Ecosystem interdependence. Uh, I find after having interviewed many people over the last eight or nine years, there's there's always a theme sort of that develops, and I think this idea of coexisting is something that I really want to step into in a, in a couple of minutes. But David, a question for you. You know, 
uh, I, I think it was Upton Sinclair who said that it's it's amazing how easy it is to not understand something. This is my paraphrase, by the way, to not understand something when your salary depends on you not understanding it. In your travels, uh, filmmaker, journalist, the people you've interviewed, I mean, is that a reality? I mean, Moira, household name, I, I mean, I hadn't heard of the right whale. And if I have, I haven't paid attention. And that's, that, that, that changes today, right? I mean, this is about choice and responsibility. David, I'd love, I'd love for you to step in there. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, I love that quote as well. And, um, yeah, I I would say that it it goes beyond just not, uh, comprehending something, but, you know, when you have a vested interest, um, like, you know, your entire livelihood depends on something, you uh, have a vested interest in in not just uh, ignoring something, but trying to disprove something. And so um, when I started making this film, uh, one of the, um, uh, I was basically starting to follow this effort in the United States after this catastrophic loss of the species, um, which we've seen the, the species decline uh, in numbers by 25% over the past decade, uh, and just to give you a sense of the, the the accelerating loss of the species. When I started making this film in 2019, the estimated population was 411. Uh, last fall, uh, after I completed the first cut of the film and had to update the film because of because this is a con- uh, uh, a story that is continuing to unfold. Right. The same scientists estimated that the population had declined to 356. Wow. Uh, so, uh, so the 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 numbers are frightening, but it's a very uh, very short period of time. That's just a, and, and and doesn't somebody? Uh, sorry, David, just interrupt. But doesn't somebody say in the film the arrow points down to zero? That's what the uh, that's yeah. Stormy Mayo, uh, a scientist from the group that Mo was just talking about the um, uh, Center for Coastal Studies, which pioneered a lot of these disentanglement uh, um, uh, efforts. Uh, he's, you know, vocal uh, proponent of trying to save the right whales. And he and many other uh, scientists who we interviewed in the, field, in the film fear that the trajectory points to extinction. And, um, and while uh, there is some good news uh, over the past uh, um, uh, few months during the calving season, we've we've seen 18 calves born. Um, uh, that is that is a, a good uh, showing for especially much of the past decade, um, and including 2018 when there were zero births, which was uh, shot across the bow essentially for anyone interested in this this subject in trying terms of trying to save this species. Um, we have, uh, we, we've just seen all kinds of, uh, challenges and threats to the species, Mm. um, that have continued, uh, that have persisted. And it's a, uh, it's a problem that begs solutions. Paul, I, I'm really interested to hear your thoughts on this idea of, of, of coexisting, Okay, here's the question: Is it is it even possible? And that's oh, a biggie. 
I think there's too many people catching too many fish and disrupting too many ecosystems, and that's the problem. And uh, if that doesn't stop, then it's a, a one-way street to extinction for uh, many species, including our own. You know, I like to uh, tell people, especially young people, I said, yeah, just look at the Earth as a spaceship. It's a, that's what it is. We're on this trip around the Milky Way galaxy, and every spaceship has a life support system, and that provides us with the food we eat and the air we breathe and regulates climate and temperature. And that spaceship is run by a crew of engineers. That doesn't include us. We're passengers. We're having a wonderful time entertaining ourselves. But what we are doing is murdering crew members at an incredible rate. And there's only so many crew members you can kill before this machinery begins to fall apart. And, uh, you know, right, since 1950, we've seen a diminishment of 40% in phytoplankton populations in the sea. I mean, this is not sustainable. It has to stop. So at the COP21 conference in Paris, you know, I had to really worked to, to get Nicola Hello to, and he was wanted to do it, but there was so much resistance to get an ocean forum going at that conference. And we had to say, look, climate change can be addressed very simply. Leave the ocean alone. Allow mm. it to repair the damage we've done to it. We need a 50-year moratorium on all industrialized commercial fishing operations now. And uh, we have to take that kind of action. And if we don't, then we're going to lose it. There won't be any fishing industry because there won't be any fish. And uh, But unfortunately, the fishing industry is an extremely um, wealthy industry, and they employ uh, legions of uh, biostitutes, which I call them, scientists who are there to say whatever the industry wants them to say. And then it, it goes on and on and on. I mean, and it's becoming a, a losing battle. Right now, we've been involved for the last seven years uh, trying to prevent the extinction of the Paquita porpoise in the Sea of Cortez. Uh, it's gone down from a few thousand now to about 22. There's 22 left. They would be extinct if it wasn't for the fact that we've confiscated 150,000 meters of uh, illegal nets over the last seven years. Uh, but even so, uh, the, the the pressure on the fishing by the fishermen is to they want it wiped out because it stands in the way of them harvesting the totoava fish, which is also an endangered species because the price tag on a totoava bladder in China is twenty thousand dollars a kilo. So, uh, and that's what we're having is diminishment will result in more demand, and that de demand will result in higher prices. And so, it's really the economics of extinction that this industry is investing in the extinction of pretty much everything as long as they can make some money off of it yeah it's a it's a grim report paul moira is this and i you know the risk of these types of conversations because you i mean i think we're going deep and i think the film goes deep and the work you've done paul and moira and so on so i i i urge people to check out the site impactseries.net and and it, and watch the film and 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 do, do do the work do the research i suppose but moira is is this is this a bit of top down going on here are we talking about laws and legislation i know that david you you bring that up beautifully in the film and and i couldn't believe how many people were sitting around that boardroom table by the way i just i felt like how are you going to get anything decided there but anyway i think we've all sat around those tables moira what are your thoughts on that? Laws and legislation, bottom up, top down. How are we going to get to that household name? We're really working at different levels. And I just love that Paul is 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 dealing with this on an international level. And, and, and he's right on with his statements. We're dealing with it on a much more local level. So, so we have a disentanglement team. I'm the token biologist. The rest of the team are all fishermen. Uh, Moira, and can I just interrupt? Do you have disentanglement expert on your business card? 
no, you know, who carries business cards anymore? <laughs> yeah, that's right. What, what's a business yeah. card? Yeah, what is that? Yeah, yeah. We don't, I, I don't even have them anymore. And, that's right. And, uh, yes. But I think it's really important because these 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 fishermen have, have made this choice, and they're not all the fishermen on the island. There's a couple of select fishermen on the island that have earned their living from the sea and, and that do think about it as giving back. And I want to take—I just want to take you for a minute to the Gulf, to the Gulf of St. Lawrence to sort of try and put this in a in a in a very local perspective. These uh, these snow crab fishermen have are multi generational fishermen. It's 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 a fishery that's been around for for many decades, and they didn't they didn't have a whale problem. They would go out, they would catch their snow crab, and 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 it's a very short season. It's a quota fishery. They'd be all done by 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 the end of June. And all of a sudden, they had a major entanglement problem with not only whales getting entangled, some whales dying, and quite frankly, us losing a colleague, Joe Howlett, in the process of disentangling a whale. Right after he had disentangled the whale, he was unfortunately struck by that same whale and killed. And so this really comes home to us disentanglement is not going to solve the entanglement problem. It is a band-aid whereby we are trying to keep as many right whales alive as we can, in particular the females, because when we lose a female, like potentially losing snow cone, we lose all of her future calves as well. She's mm -hmm. only had one so far, and that one was lost. So you can see when we're in this kind of coexistence framework, this is very different than what Paul's talking about. But from the, from the fisherman's standpoint in the Acadian Peninsula, they went from not knowing what a right whale was or a ballet noir, most of them are francophones, uh, to all of a sudden having their fishery shut down because of right whales, having to move their gear because of right whales. And so there is a lot of motivation and a lot of effort amongst this group of fishermen to try and fish a different way, to try and fish without ropes. And they actually did get snow crab to market last year uh, in 2020 uh, that were fished in closed areas because there were right whales there, uh, but they used traps without rope until there is a, there's just rope in the, in the water column for a short period of time when the trigger is released. So it's, it's not completely without rope, but it's a, it's a timed release where the rope is in the water for a very short period of time. So as a group, they, they are trying hard for coexistence. They now bring icebreakers in early uh, in March to try and break up the ice around the harbor so that they can actually get out and catch their snow crab and get back and, and haul their boats and be done with their season before the whales arrive. We are also in the process of training five fishermen, five snow crab fishermen up in that area uh, to do whale disentanglement. And we're also working with fishermen in other parts of the Bay of Fundy, Nova Scotia, because right now the only disentanglement teams in Canada are us on Campobello and a long-term team up in Newfoundland that was started by John Lean back in 1978 when humpbacks were getting caught in cod traps. And that was actually the first fellow to ever disentangle whales, going all that way back uh, in, in time to where they had a nearshore problem and you had a fisherman who had a cod trap who supported his whole family with that one cod trap. So that's sort of a local solutions to these problems where there are still some viable fisheries, 
there is no doubt that the viability of these fisheries is also in jeopardy from climate change, without a doubt. When you look at where the lobster capital of Maine used to be, it's gone from Portland uh, to Rockland to Stonington. It's moving down east and now it's moving into Canada. So we're seeing these changes on the scale of 10 years. You know, Paul talks about how hard it was to convince somebody about climate change. It shouldn't be hard now. It's happening on the scale of, of a decade, right before our eyes. And, and right whales are a classic example. There are many, many more. D D Thanks, Moira. David, so, so many questions, so many things about the film as well. I love, by the way, I just need to do a little shout out for the young, uh, young, very young woman, young girl that you include in the film who says something to the effect of, um, uh, we wouldn't like it if we went extinct. I mean, that's just, for me, that should be on the t-shirt uh, going forward. Like that's, we, we could all be rich beyond our wildest dreams just based on that t-shirt alone. But is it, is it incrementalism? Is it baby steps? Uh, you just, you know, to, to Moira's point, it shouldn't be a problem, you know, to convince people to get into the room, to have these conversations, but it does seem to be a challenge when people are out busy doing other things. Yeah, I, I'd say there are a couple things. Um, so, you know, someone else in the film says, if you can't save a great whale, what can you save? And uh, and so that, in some ways, was, was sort of the impetus for me to make the film. One of the things that kind of um, uh, inspired me to make this film was a report uh, by the United Nations uh, in 2019 that estimated that we are on target by the end of the century to lose as many as a million species. Um, and, you know, wearing my other hat, Disturbing I, wrote, stat. I wrote a story about this for the Globe, um, uh, for the Boston Globe, where I work as a reporter. And I, you know, I, I could only hint at that magnitude in a newspaper story. And, and it was just such a difficult hard to comprehend statistic. And I, I, I just don't think anyone can even wrap their brain around that. So I thought maybe if you tell the story of one species, an iconic one, uh, one that people can uh, maybe identify with, uh, including, you know, they're, they're on our license plates uh, here in Massachusetts, our specialty license plates, at least. Um, so people do know about them and care about them here at least, um, and in other areas, especially in their breeding grounds off Georgia, Northern Florida. But um, I thought, you know, if you could tell the story of one species, maybe you can tell the larger story about this immense loss of biodiversity. But I just want to say, in response to your question, I, I don't think, you know, this is a hopeless situation. There are a lot of really difficult, intractable, challenging problems uh, which Paul talked about to some extent, and climate change is, you know, overwhelming and leads a lot of us to just feeling paralyzed and unable to figure out how to respond. But this particular problem, the collapse of this species, is solvable, and we know what's killing right whales, and they are us. We, for the for over the past two decades. There uh, of all, whenever a cause of death could be found, it was found that it was either an entanglement in fishing gear, 
or a, a vessel strike. Um, mm. and, um, and if we can stop those from happening, uh, and we know how to stop them, there is technology that enables fishermen to stop using vertical buoy lines that are the chief source of entanglement, we can substantially reduce our threat to this species. Yeah, to echo Moira's uh, earlier point, I think that it is, is this about, and I think, uh, I don't know where you'd take this, Paul, but is this about no rope in the water? I know that one of the, one of the experts or people who, who shows up in the film actually says that. And that, that seems like a pretty daunting task, but I'm encouraged that you, you are still hopeful. Uh, David, Paul, are, would, you, would you ever call yourself a hopeful cynic? <laughs> Actually, we, we removed thousands of tons of fishing gear from all over the world, from, uh, you know, underwater and on the beaches and that. It's a, it's a major, major problem. Um, I, I don't really, I'm not really optimistic or pessimistic. You know, um, I, I tend to focus on the present because I think mm. that the present will define what the future will be. And that's really the only power that we have. And so uh, that's what we do. And we address these, uh, these issues uh, in the present. But it is a daunting, daunting problem. I mean, we're, we're going to lose more species in this century than we've lost in the last 65 million years. Uh, and that's it's called the Anthropocene, and we're responsible uh, for it. But what is the solution to an impossible problem? Mm. Uh, I think it's to find the impossible answer. And I think that impossible answer can be found through uh, the virtues of pattern, imagination, and courage. The very idea in 1972 that Nelson Mandela would become president of South Africa was unthinkable and impossible. And yet the impossible became possible. And especially now we have so many young people who are very passionate about this situation and want to find solutions that I think that we're going to see answers coming from, from them. I mean, they have a certainly a vested interest in finding those answers. <laughs> right. because, uh, unlike uh, our generations, I mean, we, we actually lived in the most materially wealthy and freest generation in the history of humankind, and it will never come again. And uh, so we're going to have to, uh, you know, do everything we can to empower younger people to solve that problem. Moira, somebody in the film says the ability to, to uh, for, for the right whale to survive solely, and I think this echoes David's point, solely rests in our hands. Uh, as a, a scientist and an academic, um, again, it's kind of, I suppose it's sort of a, a top-down uh, thing for you, writing articles, lecturing, out, actually out there doing the work. Any thoughts on this uh, this step towards a household name and 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 finding more of that uh, passion and, and and courage that 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 Paul's talking about? You know, we're doing it today. Uh, David's uh, a journalist. I know Paul started out as a journalist uh, a long time ago. I uh, uh, the, the only way that we are going to solve this problem is to make it a household word. One of our whale rescue, one of our whale rescue team members, trying to disentangle a whale up in in uh, up in Quebec a number of years ago, and and he doesn't didn't speak any French. And this little girl came up to him in very broken English and said, "Are you going to save the whale? Can you save the whale? Can you help this whale?" 
and 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 he became one of has become one of our most dedicated whale rescuers because he realized that, that little girl had a vested future in what we're trying to do today. I I am hugely encouraged by what I see on the news of of uh, younger people uh, advocating, demonstrating, making it clear to the powers that be that are our, mostly our generation, this materialistic generation that Paul mentioned. Uh, they're the ones that 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 are are being left with with sort of the the detritus of our generation, and. That's where the future lies. They're putting the pressure on us to start changing things now. We have the experience and the knowledge to try and change these things. You know, right whales clawed their way back from low population numbers. We know they can do it again. We just have to stop killing them. And it's not just lethal injuries that are affecting this population. We're also learning that it's sublethal injuries. When a female uh, is entangled. It takes her several years to get healthy enough to have another calf compared to other adult females that haven't been entangled. So we we really do know what to do. It is always a challenge to work with an industry and it's fishing and it's shipping that is a little bit of, we're all a little bit afraid of change for the most part, but if we start to understand what those changes are, what's available, Maybe there's a different way of doing something. It may even be better, may even be cheaper. It's people going out and literally going from harbor to harbor, from dock to dock, from fishing boat to fishing boat, from a shipping captain to a shipping captain, and really talking to the people in the field because all the, we can write all the academic papers we want. We've got to get the word out through journalism and we've got to get the word out through individual chats because the people making the difference on the water are going to end up being the ship captains that slow down their ships and the fishing boat captains that move their gear or try a different kind of fishing to still make a living, try and coexist with these animals without destroying the environment or causing an animal to go extinct in the process. Moira, you talked uh, uh, about the small boat um, injuries. I think it was to snow cone. And I would love to hear, and sadly, we're going to have to wrap up our conversation in a couple minutes. And I knew it. I knew that we weren't going to have enough time. We're, we're barely even out of the gate here, folks. But, but, but where does responsibility come into this? And how, and, 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 and Paul, as an activist, you know, you've been pushing back against the system for so many years. David, storytelling i mean isn't that who and what you are and is is you know uh richard wagami is a canadian indigenous writer says you know you know thomas king an indigenous writer says stories are, are meant to heal but they're they're all we are right they're, that's that's all we have is you know so question for all of you about responsibility but moira is it that incremental simple change those small boaters if they had a stopped maybe maybe had a 1-800 number to call. Uh, uh, I don't, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just kind of talking out loud here. Could they have made a difference there if the narrative had been a little different, you know, in their history, in their lives? Does that make sense? Does that make? It does make sense, but it, it, it you know, it's always a challenge to get the word out. So there is a 1-800 number. There's a great, <laughs> there's a great, there's an app for that. That's Sorry. great. Fantastic. You know, there's a 1-800 number on both coasts of Canada and the U.S. that you can call if you see an animal that's 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 in distress. 
or you come across a dead animal or you cause distress to an animal. Um, you know, pretty much everyone's got cell phones now or we have marine radios if we're on a boat. So you're never really out, you know, you're never really out of touch. Uh, it is a question of getting all of this information out into the public and, and having every single boater know that they need to just take a little extra care. You know, we managed to That's figure good. out that we can drive slowly past an elementary school. We can drive slowly past some areas where there's some species that need extra room, extra protection to make a go of it, to recover. Because I think we can make it happen. We just have to take the extra care. It's good. No, I love it. We all need to take a little extra care. David, is it is it about those stories? I think, I, I, yeah, you, you're a filmmaker, documentarian, journalist. Yeah. yeah Tell I, us more. Well, I would just say that I don't want to uh, over um, uh, blow or, or exaggerate the role of a storyteller. I mean, action is what's necessary and people... Uh, not just telling the stories of these whales, uh, but the scientists and the work that Mo and her colleagues do is vital to understanding these whales and understanding the threats. And you know, one of the one of the challenges actually of being a storyteller, I'm sure Paul uh, has run against this as well, is there's a lot of passion uh, on usually the side of the people whose livelihoods are most affected and they speak often the most clearly and, and directly uh, and vehemently. And often the scientists and the academics who study these issues speak in more cryptic, uh, carefully balanced language uh, that, that when you're trying to tell a story is, is difficult to pair um, and some, somewhat seems like there's an imbalance. I've had that challenge as an environmental writer for and filmmaker for a long time, getting getting scientists to speak forthrightly and directly and clearly about the implications of their work. In this issue, um, as you hear Mo express this in very basic, straightforward, clear and passionate terms, I have found that the scientists um, understand and recognize the the need to be forthright and um, and have found them to be quite compelling and articulate. But ultimately, stories are important and awareness is vital, but action at bottom is what's necessary if we're gonna actually remove the threat. And that involves reducing entanglements and reducing ship strikes for this species. So good, yeah, thanks for that, Paul. Um... Pa what is it? Passion, imagination, and courage. Have you kind of given up on, um, and I'm putting myself into this, Paul, the older generation. Can I even say that? <laughs> older, small O, maybe? <laughs> no, I don't think so. But I also, you know, the most powerful weapon that's ever been invented is the camera. And mm. uh, if it isn't on camera, the actions are worthless. Nobody pays attention to them. Uh, and it's also very important uh, that we have that story. Um, that's one of the reasons we put the Whale Wars TV show together, to dramatize the issue, to get it in front of people who wouldn't otherwise be interested. It's one of the reasons that we, you know, we worked on films like Sharkwater and The Cove and uh, Seaspiracy uh, in order to get people thinking. You know, people are saying, well, Seaspiracy wasn't this accurate or anything else, so, but it was on Netflix, which is a very powerful medium. And when people, one person said, well, you know, I've worked for a long time to do a film on this and all the science was correct, but nobody's interested. And I says, but nobody's interested in your PhD thesis. They want a story. They want something they can relate to. And uh, so whether it's totally accurate or not doesn't matter. It mm. gets people thinking. 
you know, and uh, that's what's what's most important. So um, I think, uh, David, with your camera, you've got certainly got the potential to really uh, make uh, the the right whale uh, household word. And, uh, you know, and also I think with Moira, uh, you know, you know, I probably illustrate the, the team's efforts uh, in a, you know, more on the shows or everything. Get out there like a, you know, a whale rescue show, that kind of thing. You know, I mean, David Suzuki discovered this a long time ago that, you know, he left the laboratory and went to the, went into the right. studio in order to make a difference. Yeah, he, ta- he talks a great deal, actually, Paul, about science to storytelling, right? And, and bringing the two together. There are a few things that are uh, more compelling than a disentanglement team heading out, you know, into the maw of a whale and, you know, facing the danger of that mighty tail, uh, which is, uh, you know, incredibly powerful and lethal, um, as we've learned and Mo knows too well. So, uh, you know, what the work that they do, they're valiant, they're, uh, they're doing incredibly important work, and certainly that helps carry the currency of this issue. I I hate to I hate to wrap our conversation up, but you know I think to quote that young uh, girl in the film, uh, we we wouldn't like it if if we went extinct either. I mean, isn't isn't that the story in a way? And Paul, hasn't that been the story of your life? And Moira, the work that you're doing, and David, the stories you're telling, and what we're trying to do here and hoping to do with driving change, this podcast that's launching. Uh, um, it, this month at June in 2021 and the impactseries.net. You can see Entangled, the film there. It's coming soon to some theaters uh, in Canada and hopefully in, into other places as well. And sign up for the podcast, sign up for the newsletter on the impactseries.net. Check out Moira Brown uh, and her work at the Canadian Whale Institute. David, you have a website, David Able, uh, davidsable.com, I believe. So we can find out more about you there. And Paul, you're pretty much everywhere. So uh, just search Paul Watson and you're going to find some interesting stories. Sea Shepherd uh, is, is, is who you're still currently with. And Paul, I love your courage. I love your passion. I love your imagination. And thank you to all of you uh, today. Any, any, any kind of final words? Is that, is, that a, is that an okay quick question to ask as we wrap up? Well, I always, oh, sorry, you go, go ahead. Oh, that's great. Everybody's speaking at once. I love it. Uh, no, no, it's awesome. It's awesome. Uh, hey, where's the passion? Okay, Moira, go ahead. I said, none of us, none of us are giving up on this. None of us are giving up on right whales. We're just going to roll our sleeves up a little bit higher and, and, and figure out different technologies, different techniques to just give this animal a chance. I love, I, we didn't even talk about this. I love that it's the right whale, you know, and, and maybe history is, has a different story for that, but let's tell a new story about that. David, final, final thoughts? I would just say that, you know, if we work together, we can solve a lot of problems. Uh, I think the, the fact that a year ago uh, when, we, when this pandemic started, uh, the idea that we could have a vaccine that was 95% effective uh, and make it here in a, where I live in Massachusetts, almost like the pandemic uh, never happened right now. I mean, we're, we're sort of all coming out and taking our masks off. We as human beings have incredible creativity and ingenuity. And if we come together, there are few problems that I don't, that, that we can solve. I think that's a fair thing to say. Love it. Love it. Paul. 
Well, the one thing I say over and over again is that if the ocean dies, we all die. We don't live on this planet with a dead ocean. So we have a vested interest to do everything we can to protect diversity and interdependence in the sea. Let's let's do everything we can. There's another T-shirt, I think, in the making, David. It's uh, we've got we've got our work cut out for us. Thank you, Moira, David, Paul. What a pleasure having you on the show today. Uh, welcome, welcome to Driving Change, and uh, looking forward uh, to meeting you all actually uh, in person in the not so distant future. Thank thanks again for joining us today on Driving Change. Thank you. Thanks so much. Well, there you have it, folks. That was episode one of Driving Change, Finding a Balance. We were thrilled to have uh, several special guests with us, including David Abel, the director of Entangled. He's a Pulitzer Prize winning journalist and the director of the film Entangled. You can check it out in theaters now. You can also check it out online. And The, the film is Entangled, and it is a beautiful, cinematic, moving piece. It's thoughtful. It's going... To, I mean, I I learned a ton, and I hope you do too. We had Paul Watson on uh, from Sea Shepherd, and hopefully you already know who I'm talking about, and if you don't, you will soon enough. And Moira Brown, uh, who is um, an activist, an author, and an academic who is doing significant work. She's a, a disentanglement expert. How cool is that? So what a thrill, what a pleasure to have them all on the show. This is Driving Change. Please subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening. Leave us a review. And um, importantly, too, is signing up for our newsletter as well, the ImpactSeries.net. So, you know, normally at this point, I'd say don't touch that dial, but maybe go back and, and, and listen again. Uh, welcome to Driving Change. Driving Change.